Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. As you know, this podcast is part of the Agora Podcast Network, a network of like-minded, independently managed and cultivated podcasts from all over the world. Now, this month, we would like to uh, promote The Unapologetic Capitalist by my good friend Alison Gerlach. It's a forum that cultivates and encourages the building of significant long-term values of any venture. So if you're an entrepreneur, a business exec, a consultant, or anybody who's interested in the world of business, I recommend you give it a listen. And you can do that by logging on to the Agora Podcast Network, iTunes, Stitcher, or a podcatcher of your choice. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem... Said Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm joined today by Rob, the historian man Monaco from Connecticut, and from London we have John Ellidge. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hey, hey. I am your host, Royfield Brown, in a very, believe it or not, gloomy San Francisco. In a week that has seen an earthquake rock Italy, we're going to look at the softening of Donald Trump and the gold medals that rain down on old Blighty. I'm asking for the vote of every African-American citizen struggling in our country today who wants a different and much better future. It's time for our society to address some honest and very, very difficult truths. The Democratic Party has failed and betrayed the African-American community. The Democratic Party has taken the votes of African-Americans for granted. They've just assumed they'll get your support and done nothing in return for it. They've taken advantage of the African-American citizen. It's time to give the Democrats some competition for these votes, and it's time to rebuild the inner cities of America and to reject the failed leadership of a rigged political system. We reject the bigotry of Hillary Clinton, which panders to and talks down to communities of color 
and sees them only as votes. That's all they care about. In the last week, Donald Trump has kind of said sorry, talked about African-Americans and seems to be advocating not, I repeat, not to deport those 11 million undocumented illegal immigrants. Some of them are rapists, you know. Rob, what is going on? And the drug dealers and murderers. Mm. Um, yeah. Some of them I, might be nice people. But they Mex- might. But Mexico I mean, is not I, sending I, its I, best. Sure, Do I you really want to people. take the risk, though? <laughs> I, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, he's got a new campaign manager mm-hmm. who he made look like a total ass on Monday. Um, she comes out and says she's not going to tolerate uh, any of the, the insults um, that as a mother, she doesn't tolerate this kind of language. What does he do? He goes on Twitter and basically says uh, to uh, Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski, you know, I know about you guys. I'm going to tell everybody if you don't back off a bunch of neurotic, no whatevers. It's I think they're finding that uh, it's very hard to contain such a raw elemental force that, (laughs) yes, storms calm down, they lose their energy, but they also can pick up steam again. I I don't know if this is part of a calculated plan, um, but I know, you know, today, like you mentioned, mentioning something that sounds a lot like amnesty, that working with people to pay back taxes that they owe. Yeah, that's a path to citizenship. What's the what's the problem? I suppose the problem is that he's built his campaign around being tough and uncompromising around illegal immigration, isn't it, John? Yeah, it's just difficult to see how he executes the pivot convincingly because, I mean, we've we've now reached the stage of the cycle where I am obsessively pressing refresh on 538 and real clear politics and whatever else there is out there, even though it doesn't... Politico? There's not... There's not even there's not even enough information out there to make it worth it. But nonetheless, it's what it's all I'm reading about at the moment. What one of the things I've learned is that by this stage in the cycle, a lot of the polls seem to be pretty well baked in. Like people have made their minds up. Um, and you know, this is a weird electoral cycle, so it could turn out that that's that's not true this time around. But it does seem very likely that having spent the last eight or nine months systematically alienating african-americans latinos you know women um and you know most of the rest of the population it's just not clear that they're going to suddenly buy the idea of donald trump as this cuddly uncle well i mean but in all fairness i mean he did say he'd get 95 percent of the black vote and <laughs> he did he did say that he says it's gonna he says it's gonna happen it's gonna happen in in the african-american vote there was a poll that showed him coming fourth not only behind Clinton, but behind Gary Johnson and Jill Stein. He was on like 1% or something, which is outstanding. Um, I think the received wisdom is that, in effect, the, the finishing straight of the campaign starts after Labor Day, which is what, in about a week's time or so. And, and, and that's really where you, then you'll start to see a tightening of the polls. Am I right, Mr. Monaco? You are you're absolutely. I think, and what John said, too, that people have made up their minds. You always see those polls where it's, you know, 12 percent are undecided. What's there to decide about at this point? What are you going to learn in the next you know, two months that you uh, this is revelatory? I had no idea that he discovered the cure for cancer and he's going to release it after the election. 
it's this is crunch time, but I don't remember any election where it's the party elites are actively making headlines saying we need to panic or get him out of the race, get somebody in there, rein him in, control his outbursts. But I don't think that it's going to make a difference one way or another. I think the people who are going to vote for Trump are going to vote for Trump. And that's that's it. John, we've seen Nigel Farage do a, a, a campaign rally with Donald Trump. Kind of a form of um, outreach, our old Mr. Brexit has done, done with, with the Trump campaign. Were we, we proud to see our boy Nigel up there? I mean, I didn't think it was a form of outreach so much as a, a form of audition tape for the Nigel Farage show coming soon to Fox News. Um, he's clearly just kind of looked at what a big market there is for, for, for you know, right wing demagoguery in the US right now. And thought, <laughs> I, could, I could do that. You know, if, if if Piers Morgan could do it, why can't I? I mean, the Brexit comparison is the is the scary one, because obviously, I mean, the polls were some for, for a while. The polls for Brexit did show that it was going to happen, but they had swung back at the end. And more to the point, like the entire British establishment uh, really thought that, you know, we can't possibly leave the European Union. Obviously, we're going to remain. Like, I had a conversation with a guy who, one of the politics guys at The Sun, tabloid newspaper back in February, who told me that they they were so certain that, that Brexit wouldn't happen. They were trying to work out how to handle that because on the one hand, they're all fervently pro-Brexit there. On the other hand, Murdoch only backs winners. So, you know, even, even the people who've been banging the drum for this for the decades convinced it wasn't going to happen and then it did so the reason everyone's a bit everyone might be a bit nervous around the presidential election i think is because of the possibility that there is some kind of polling shock there too that it turns out that just all the polling data we're looking at right now is is just nonsense i think that's unlikely for a number of reasons but this is what's going to be keeping me up at night rob does donald trump have a problem with white people Basically, those those those, <laughs> those those nice white people. Gentlemen, go with me. Go with me. It's it's those nice white people, the, the ones that you know don't necessarily see themselves as as racist, don't necessarily see themselves as um, anti uh, reasonable politics, and isn't the reason for him to be speaking about African-Americans and the fact that he's talking about an amnesty for um, 11 million uh, illegal immigrants is because he's actually trying to shore up his white vote. For those people, as I said at the top of my question, who do not see themselves as racist. Discuss. Yeah, he might. I mean, the truth is... Because the racists, have... he has them on board, doesn't he? Ah, oh, please. Yeah, that's it's like shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, mm. all he has to go up there, he puts on the hat and he said, you know, Mexicans, eh, they're going to vote. Um, the, he, the problem is, is the, the people, white voters, men and women who identify as they have higher education, um, they tend to be a little more cosmopolitan, would consider themselves to be open. They want to believe that there is there has to be an intelligence there i mean yes he's had plenty of 
help in life to get where he's been, but there's got to be some shred of of a plan in there that this can't just be the producers and that he's banking on making the world's worst election and then he'll just reap the profits afterwards. I, I think that he's going to say whatever it takes to get as many people on his side as possible. And if that means hinting at amnesty, then that's fine. But I think it's very strange that to win over white voters who wouldn't vote for him, that this would be his tactic. Why not talk about the policies and and issues that actually, you know, middle class people care about, regardless of, you know, race, like taxes and student debt? Mm. John, why doesn't he talk about taxes and uh, student debt? Why is it that somebody can get so far in a campaign to become the president of the United States with so little specificity on politics, on policies, sorry. I've got a little parable about this, actually, because, you know, I edit edit a website which combines kind of quite sort of internet viral stuff with quite uh, much more technical and academic essay type stuff. And often I find that the things I put the most love and effort into in terms of sort of working out how a piece of policy is working and what it Mm -hmm. all means, they don't they're not the ones that that people pay any attention to. So, you know, there is there is always that sort of urge to just do clickbait because that's the stuff that you're going to get the the audience response from. I think Trump is basically campaigning through clickbait. People don't care about policy. I mean, they get they, they care about having lower taxes. They care about paying off student loans, but they don't actually care the details of how how you're going to do that because that stuff's boring. Fine to just have this guy stand up and say, "Oh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to lower your taxes. I'm going to end your student loans. Trust me on this. I'm going to be the most successful president there's ever been," and kind of get all those messages in there without actually having to do any of the complicated, difficult, boring stuff like work out how. I mean, I think we're seeing uh, a, a version of this on the British left at the moment with Jeremy Corbyn, where his, his policy platform is, I will end austerity. It's like, well, OK, great. Then what? How? How are you going to do that? And he's, he just doesn't engage with politics on that level. You know, I think the same is, is true of Trump, but he gets more response from the audience when he just talks absolute nonsense. So why is he going to start talking about boring stuff? But he has started talking about Boring stuff, at least trying to in the last week, isn't it? It's very obvious with his new campaign manager that he's starting to, he's trying to start to look somewhat kind of presidential and trying to put some meat on those naked uh, policy bones, wouldn't you say, Rob? Uh, I mean, that sounds to me like you want to say no. But I, my question <laughs> is forcing you to say yes. It, it, it is trying to phrase it to say yes, that, you know, oh, look, look, he's trumping up the. the the rhetoric a bit i i i, I have to agree trump, with trump trump trumping trumping down the rhetoric but okay back but, back to you john. but i i back, um, yeah i i gotta agree with john on this one because you're right it, it it's john you could go john, on and on john, and on about that john, but it is john baby john he was right about yes, that. this is but this you is are john. fundamentally wrong john when you says that all people don't care and in effect, his campaign is all clickbaity. I, I I agree with that. Other than the fact that people do care, and he's realised the limits of clickbait uh, rhetoric will only get you maybe what thirty eight percent at best of the American vote, and these are diehard um, people who are diehard Republicans, diehard 
some of them are diehard racist, some of them are diehard in opposition to, in inverted commas, the system. And that is the limit of clickbaity uh, rhetoric. So, and, and that's what the last week has been about, is realising that actually you are never going to be President of the United States unless the, the field of four candidates is actually much more competitive. It's, it's not going to work. And his clickbaity uh, primary campaign worked because there were 17, 16, 17 other people running. So um, he, he, he got notoriety. But if that had been a normal race of two or three, he would not have won. So we've seen the limits of clickbaity uh, politics, surely, John. I kind of think that that's, that's slightly conflating two things. I think like the, the clickbaity politics thing is not the same thing as the fact that Trump is kind of this loose cannon who's sort of completely all over. Like, I think you could have an entirely rational, sane candidate still sort of pursuing a clickbait technique. But more to the point, I just do you really think for a moment that he's going to have the discipline to, to stick to this? I, I, I don't know how long it's going to take you to edit this and put it out. But I think there is, you know, there is a significant chance that by the time anyone is listening to this, he's already going to have gone off message again. Just because, <laughs> I mean, I, he, he, I just don't think he can control himself. Well, think about what's going to happen during the first debate. As soon as the stress starts in and and. Hillary starts saying something that's carefully groomed to go after him. As soon as his feathers are ruffled, he, you know it's going to be, whoa, he said what? Oh, I'm going to go online and talk about this. He's just so thin-skinned. It'd just be so easy to provoke him into saying something catastrophically stupid. And, and the, the Clinton campaign has been very good at taking advantage of that. So, I, I mean, I imagine that's that seems like a plausible strategy in the debate. That She's just going to say a few things calculated to make the guy explode in a self-destructive way. So, you know, I, I don't know if the Clinton campaign have been very good at exploiting his ill discipline. I think he's doing that himself, surely. Well, he did call Hillary a bigot the other day, and I haven't really seen a lot of fallout from that. Mm. I missed that one. What, uh, I missed what was that his one argument too. There? Yeah, yeah. He called her a bigot. Does I he mean, know what he, the word means? Or that's what I, kind of a generic <laughs> that's what I was like, like, There's so many things you could call her, but I don't know if I would call her a bigot. I mean, you did have, <laughs> uh, what's his face, the, the head of the KKK with you at the rally. Now, that's a bigot. <laughs> On that note, gentlemen, I think we should. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Move on to discuss Blighty and Gold. Inside the last 200 meters, this is the moment for the Briton to become one of the all-time greats. Toller's in third. He's glancing over his shoulder. Maybe he's settled for a place on the podium, but who's going to win? They're toe-to-toe, and Farah's coming away. He is not to be denied. A great, great moment. We are, without doubt, watching one of the great champions. Farah is a double Olympic champion over 10,000 metres. After winning 27 gold medals and coming second in the medal table in Rio, some people are questioning whether the UK has any business winning so many gold medals and want to go back to the bad old days of the odd gold here and there. John, are we right to gloat in our success and continue to fund winners? Is it British? Sorry. When you say some people are questioning whether we have the right to win so many medals, do you mean, I've not come across anyone who's done that. Do you mean like the French? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been reading some British media and some people have questioned, um, in effect, our state funded policy of going for, uh, specifically going for sports where we, where there are a multiplicity of medals. And also the fact that invariably the sports which we have funded are traditionally the middle class ones. So do we just want to win medals or are we actually trying to get Britons to participate in sport? Yeah, okay, I I take your point on that one. Um, I I feel like maybe we've kind of hit the limit of the sort of the 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 buying gold strategy of like it's we're never going to get any further up the medals table than that are we i mean that was a hell of a performance to come second and just do the demographics alone mean that it's i I just can't see us ever coming first i I suppose you can kind of question whether it's really worth pouring that much money into a few specific sports just so that you look good at international competitions a few times a year i mean it doesn't I've not seen any research on this, so maybe there is some kind of wider social value to that, but I can't personally work out what it would be. But I don't, I, I think the gem, generally the, the mood has been pretty good around the whole thing. I mean, it's not the same as, as 2012 because obviously it's, it's on the other side of the world rather than, you know, just up the road in Stratford. But nonetheless, I think it, it sort of cheered everyone up slightly after the disastrous first half of the summer, I think. So, you know, that's, that's something to be. Rob. So us Brits came a fantastic second and you Americans came a very dismal first. Um, oh, very and, dismal. And, and, and you were shamed by the antics of, uh, of your swimmers, one swimmer in particular. Surely this is going to be an Olympics for the Americans to forget. <laughs> we, we forget about them all the time as soon as it's over. I, people don't even remember. There was an Olympics in China. Really? When did, when did they do that? I, we will not remember the answer Brazil. is 2008 but anyway go on yeah exactly I, so that was what oh my god that was like 30 years ago they're not gonna <laughs> care it's how many did we get the gold did we win enough okay fine what's next i 
feel like the Ryan Lochte stuff was... It, I, I'll admit, it was schadenfreude. I've been following the Brazil, the fiasco that has been this Olympic buildup since it was first announced. So part of me really was sitting back with my bubble pipe and going, oh, this is, I can't believe they robbed him as well. This is a delight. <laughs> oh, he, he lied. Ah, oh, oh, what the heck? Uh, too funny, but we, I could probably have an entire other argument about the Olympics in general. Um, oh, go, go for it. Oh, uh, well, I mean, let alone trying to watch it as a cord cutter was virtually impossible to, to find a live stream anywhere the apple tv was useless the websites were i gotta go here but there but i don't get it saw an article the other day nbc is blaming millennials for for not taking advantage of all that they the programming that they offered um that's why ratings were the worst in, in a long time maybe there's something more to this maybe that the the politics and the i, I don't know that that fakeness to what the Olympics has become is, is overshadowing uh, the fact that this should be a celebration of humanity and, and all that they can accomplish. Uh, but it, it's not. We're so bogged down with everything else. John, do you think this is just typical American sour grapes, the fact that we came second and they only managed first, that, you know, <laughs> Rob seems to be rubbish in the whole institution of the Olympics and, and saying that it's, you know, somewhat old fashioned. Oh, it was, I mean, there was a humiliation for the states, wasn't it? I mean, it's it, it's not it's not clear to me whether they'll they'll, they'll be winning the World Series this year. <laughs> um, I think that there are many reasons to to rubbish the Olympics. To be fair, um, particularly the the International Olympic Committee, which is obviously a, a wonderful institution that is in no way uh, corrupt or anything similar <laughs> to that. Um, it does feel a lot like it's increasingly only countries that are a little bit dodgy that kind of want to host the things. I mean, I, I, this so isn't an Olympics. You're talking about the United stuff. States in uh, 2024, with the Los Angeles bid and, and Japan with the Tokyo in 2020. Slightly dodgy countries. You can't trust the Japanese. I'm being quite racist today, aren't you I? You are. Like, I'm, I'm noting a theme. <laughs> Taking a, 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 a native uh, kind of chunk out of Trump at the moment. But but anyway, you go on. This this is good. Go. No, go go these, after the these... French more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo I love the French. I really do. I genuinely love the French, just to be clear. Um, I, there is a sort of weird thing around these sort of global sporting tournaments, so particularly the Olympics. There is something wonderful about that moment at the end of every opening ceremony where like, all the teams walk out and it's one of the few events where I, I don't even care about sport but it is one of the few events where you can see the whole world come together over the same event like that and that is there is something quite quite wonderful about that but the problem is there's also quite a lot of money involved in these things um and that that does kind of attract a certain type of political regime because actually they're quite it's 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 not impossible to have a good olympic legacy um where you kind of genuinely add something to a, a, a city or the country that hosts it um the barcelona one did, was incredibly successful I, I feel you're about to segue into promoting your own podcast here john um, well i knew you'd do that for me is the, the clever yeah. thing um 
but but yeah, no, genuinely, like the Barcelona Olympics was a major thing that helped transform Barcelona from this kind of backwater to one of the most fashionable cities in Europe. Um, so it is possible, but more more often than not, countries spend billions of dollars on these things and and, and don't get a whole lot out of it. It's made basically just to kind of look big and important in front of the rest of the world for the free week and. That is generally something that's more attractive to countries that are feeling a little bit insecure about their place in the world, who are often also a little bit, you know, dictatorial and corrupt. And so the end of this is that you end up with Qatar hosting the the World Cup in 30 degree heat at some point in the future. Sounds to me, uh, Mr. Relish, that you're being somewhat, uh, somewhat disingenuous in terms of talking about slightly dodgy countries and, you know, it's countries that feel insecure or feeling insecure. The re- that's the reason why they why want to host why these you, things. Because why surely... do you think I'm excluding Britain from this? You've led me to that one. Well done, sir. Yeah. Well done. Like, it's dick-waving, basically, isn't it? Like, let's be honest. Rob, you're a man that likes to wave his dick about. What's wrong with dick-waving? Especially <laughs> on an international <laughs> stage. Nothing, especially if it's covered in bald eagle feathers and wrapped in an American flag. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it, it beats having like a world war. It's, I mean, isn't that the whole point of, of sports in general is, I mean, going back to ancient Greece, it's we all stop killing each other for a couple of months so that we pretend to kill each other in wrestling and running fast naked and um it's good it's just that much like anything that that used to have a soul behind it um it's been marketed and capitalized and and drained and of anything that might have heart um i oh, i know sir come on i've come on there nah. was there was mo farah falling down and then picking himself up and still winning the race. There were the two. Uh, there was the Australian, sorry, the New Zealand woman and the uh, American woman who were running a long distance race. And the new and the American woman uh, fell over, and the New Zealand athlete yes. stopped and right, right, right. waited for her, and they ran to Come on, man! This yes, is the heartwarming. Okay. Hum- and the Chinese swimmer. Stuff. Yes, 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 yes. The individual stories mm-hmm. are important let, let, let's let's amend that i'm i'm talking about the the corporation itself the ioc in general that mm-hmm. it's done over this this pall of everything is fine we're gonna build a golf course in the middle of the rainforest here's the mascot of the olympics a beautiful endangered jaguar wow <laughs> oh, trust me it won't happen again folks we we made sure to kill all the other jaguars behind the scenes it's it's just i i, I feel so gross and jaded i used to be so excited for the olympics and now i couldn't be bothered to i used to i was in the junior olympic archery team for for crying out loud yeah i was training for i did four years of that and i watched it relentlessly i loved archery koreans are awesome at archery i don't even have the to watch it anymore i keep on thinking something bad is going to happen the pool is going to fill with human corpses and sofas and it's it's bad. I don't know. I'm, at least we won. I mean, honestly, and, and in the end, isn't isn't that all that matters? <laughs> Baron de Kubian would, would would say not. But John, as the celebratory Brit here, 
Um, why don't you have the final word? End it however you want, sir. You can just sing God Save the Queen if you want. I'm not going to sing God Save the Queen. That is not <laughs> a thing that's going to happen. Land of hope and okay, glory. Can I tell a historical anecdote? Oh, well, you're a historian. Here's some history well, for you. Well, um, when the Olympics first came back in 19, in 1896, mm-hmm. it wasn't just meant to be about sport. There were meant to be artistic categories as well. I that so came know in what about. you're going to say. Yeah, um, it's a good one, though. So for a while, there was there was Olympic medals in, in sculpture. Um, but they weren't getting enough entries, uh, not sculpture, in architecture, but they weren't getting enough entries. So they subdivided the category and um, they split it into sort of, uh, I think one of them was just called architecture and the other one was called town planning. Um, and they kept giving the awards to sports stadiums. So like there is a bunch, there was a year, I think it was the 1932 Olympics, where the, the Olympic gold medal for uh, town planning went to the stadium in which the Olympics were happening. There was also a sculpture prize in 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 medals. So someone genuinely won the gold medal for the best medal. So <laughs> anyway, they scrapped that because it was silly. <laughs> Sounds a bit like race walking. That that's a silly sport. But anyway, uh, gentlemen, let's move on. Coming up to the end of the show. Mr. Monaco, what's been your takeaway of the last seven days? Mm. Uh... Right, let, let, let me help you along. What computer yeah. game have you been playing? What, com- <laughs> what computer game do you want to play? That, what computer uh, game are you looking forward to be, being released? Well, I, I, am, I, am, I am looking forward to playing that, the new Deus Ex game. I really mm-hmm. find all of that transhumanism stuff fascinating but I, I must say that i've i've recently discovered uh the world of this uh warhammer uh business that uh, games workshop is a british company uh, i've i knew about it i had no idea you know it starts at those little tabletop things with the miniatures that people paint them and all uh and i find it really fascinating it's a whole world that they've made and the history behind it is is very cool um a lot of it is blatantly taken after real names uh on earth so i mean whatever but uh yeah there's a lot of historical comparisons there and uh i kind of enjoy it Hmm. uh mr ellidge in london what about you sir well as i mentioned earlier in the show i've been um getting into my kind of uh the usual cycle I go into every four years where I just become increasingly obsessed with with US politics until basically I can talk about nothing else but to kind of keep me in that zone I've been uh, listening to a a very interesting US uh, sorry history of the US that the BBC radio produced in 2008 it's called uh, America Empire of Liberty by David Reynolds Mm. and it's a very nice overview of US history can I just uh, recommend if anybody wants to have um, another view of American history uh, you can uh, download 10 American Presidents because it's awesome and I do it there you go uh, now, uh, my takeaway of the week is I've been gorging, nay, binging on Hell on Wheels, which is a show on Netflix, which was originally on AMC. I'd never heard of this thing. There's five seasons of it, and it's set immediately after the American Civil War, and it's the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. And you follow um, a, a, an actually real-life character, Mr... Uh, 
T. Durant, who's building this road, and then his chief engineer, uh, Mr. Bohannon. And it's absolutely fascinating in terms of historical detail. So it's this, as I said, it's the start of the uh, building of the Transcontinental Railroad. So they start in Iowa and they're working their way across America. And uh, brilliant in terms of understanding the logistics and the encapsulated world of the railroad. So uh, as they move along the tracks they're all living in tents and the, and the tents basically move along but there's a, a a big tent which is the church there's an even bigger tent which is the saloon there's all the prostitutes that move along with them and basically these are irish navvies and um freedmen i.e kind of black ex-slaves that are building it and it's just brilliant in terms of looking at the world of 1866 67 etc and seeing the modern world as we kind of understand it now in terms of communication so there they are with their um, early industrial technology these the steam trains and going out into the wilderness and, and, and encountering the Cheyenne or the Sioux or whoever who are uh, blocking their way and saying uh, wait a minute white man this, this is our land what are you doing and, and hitting them with bows and arrows and then they are sending back telegrams to the nearest fort to get some troops to come and to defend them and the the amazing thing is for me is that for the first time in my life I've I found myself rooting for in effect the cowboys to do the Indians and I had to stop and check myself but you can become so invested in the characters trying to build this railroad that my PC-ness which I've had since about the age of five saying but wait on a minute how comes the, the Indians are the bad guys if they're already there on their land and these people are, are walking into it um, absolutely absolutely got subverted but in terms of understanding uh, the monumental engineering uh, feat and then also just the start of the world of which we kind of start to recognize into be, being able to send messages all over the world because they're sending those, those telegrams via Morse code. I just find it absolutely fascinating. And as, as a drama goes, it, it's a little bit hokey and a little bit cheesy. At the end of each episode, something kind of gets wrapped up, but it but it's a very good watch. So Hell on Wheels is my takeaway of the week. And it sounds like it's made you start to think that just maybe Donald Trump has a point. <laughs> I wouldn't quite go that far. This is, uh, this is how it starts. I wouldn't quite go that far. But yes, I did have to say to myself, bloody hell, you know, I'm on, I'm on, the, I'm on, I'm on the side of the, of the white guys shoot, shooting the My people God. just defending their, their, their land. But yeah, it, it's, it's a good drama. It's a good drama. Well, you hell know, on wheels. These Chinese immigrants are taking all of our jobs, I tell you. On the well, <laughs> it's funny you should say that. But because... Um, <laughs> At, at the time, there was more than one railroad, which is being subsidized by the American government, uh, winding its way across America. And I forget which owner, which railway says, we have all these Chinamen. They work at even less money than the blacks and they work harder. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, you know well, and... yeah, but then this is also the time of um, our fa you know, folk hero, John Henry, that, well, now what do you do when you have a, a steam engine that works twice as hard as any man and you don't have to pay it uh, so this that's another problem that's going to be well we'll talk about you know robotization and all of that stuff in another episode Ooh. 
Uh, maybe next week. Right, I'm going to look out for that. Um, <laughs> Mr. Elledge over in Londinium. Um, Hello. Just before we sign off, sir, if anybody wants to catch up with you and your good works, how can they do that? Uh, I am almost always to be found on Twitter where I am John Elledge. That's J-O-N-N-E-L-L-E-D-G-E. Um, I spend my days editing citymetric.com and we also have a rather fine podcast which you put together for us. Oh, so, so, so I do. And it is rather fine. And some more of my son's music will be uh, making its way onto your podcast uh, this week, sir. Did yeah, I, did... it's quite it's quite a nepotistic podcast, isn't it? The other week we had my wife on and you, your son's music, so yeah. Yeah. Well, keep keep it all in the family, just like Trump. Just like Trump. Um Mr. Monaco, uh, how about you, sir? Uh, I I exist on Twitter at Podcast History. Whether or not I actually do much on it is up for debate. <laughs> mm. and, and what are you working on at the moment? Uh, you got a new history podcast coming out. How about I, history of influential British women, i.e. queens? Mm, that type of thing. Uh, I mean, at this point... Your country is simply known as Perfidious Albion. Um, <laughs> good, good, good for tin uh, and people who wear blue makeup. And I think that's about all I am at right now. It's about 509 BC for me, so it's it's not much. So. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit I'm, behind with your podcast. I'm still in the third millennium BC. So ah, in the Near East, I, I imagine wow. that was a golden age, wasn't it? Oh yes, yes. This is Egypt's heyday, and Assyria will starting around but they won't be around for another two two thousand years or so <laughs> <laughs> so but it's all right Syria hasn't start. started then well no no not quite but but sumer is there they're loving it oh. life is easy so 3000 bc would we have Ur there oh yeah very much so oh cool uh, all right Uruk and all of the great things gilgamesh is long dead. i was gonna I, oh I believe he existed, but that's me. Right. So, uh, if you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Royfield, but R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. This week, I am working on the President Grant episode of 10 American Presidents, which the narration has been provided by one Adam Benami. And it's going to be somewhat of an epic. And my good listeners of that podcast have done various recordings of contemporaneous newspaper cuttings of the time. So that's what I'll be doing. So that's 10 American presidents. And I also, considering that I am a gun for I also cut together and produce uh, the City Metric, i.e. Skylines podcast for the City Metric team at the New Statesman. And some of my son's wonderful music will be gracing that. This has been Mid-Atlantic. You can follow us on Twitter where we are Mid-Atlantic Show. You can go onto the Book of Face, i.e. Facebook, and you can go and find our page there. It's got a paltry amount of uh, followers, likes. Uh, so please go on to Facebook. I don't promote our page on, on this show, but you should go on there and just like it because it'll make us feel better. Please review us on iTunes. Show us your support for our show because, you know what, we do put in a little bit of effort to do this. Please go on to iTunes, review us. Five stars would be great. Um, that has been me, Royfield Brown, in San Francisco, and that has been John Elledge in London and one Rob Monaco in Connecticut. Say goodbye, gentlemen. Bye. Goodbye. See you all next time. Do I have to rule the world? Are we-
come to me Do I have to live in doubt Or will it turn to me Do I have to lose my mind Cause it's been wandering Will they ever let me out? I've been wondering. Help me to see who I can be. Help me to. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed powered heroes use skincare level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.